Teacher's Cup of Coffee. You know, I do a lot of coaching in the winter, so I kind of lost track of the podcast a little bit, but I am back today, and in light of everything that's going on now, I feel I'll be able to be back often. You know, there's not much we can say about what we're all going through now. It's unprecedented, it's um, devastating, it's scary, it's isolating, it's all of the above. And we're all dealing with this, us educators especially, we're dealing with it in our own personal lives and with our families, but then we're also dealing with it with our students and our colleagues and, you know, it just, there's so much to it. And all that said, I I, want to put out a podcast that I'm hoping today can be helpful to people and even in times like this, maybe even a little bit inspiring if I can get to that point. But I I just wanted to start with saying I realize and I agree that nothing about this is good. I would like nothing more than to be at regular school. I'm in Massachusetts. My school is closed for at least two weeks. um, And I wonder if we'll be closed a lot longer than that. I'm dealing with it, as I said, as an educator and a parent. So I'm experiencing it on both ends. Today I was home working on my educational stuff and then I was also trying to make help both of my daughters get through some content, get through some practice, get through some skills. Um, and certainly there's a part of it that's fun and that's exciting trying to do all of the above. But more importantly, it's just sad that we're not at school doing the things we normally do. So today I want to talk a little bit about what we can do. You know, all the education companies that have online platforms, they're swarming us right now. There's, we have more access than we've ever had to many individualized learning platforms as well as many different ways that we can teach online, deliver content and stuff like that online, uh, which is cool, which is cool. And it's great that they're giving this stuff for free. We all know that whenever we get back to normal, Um, they're going to be asking for us to pay moving forward. But I also, I do appreciate they're giving us these things for free now. But I also just thought, you know, I just want to talk more about not what platforms we can use, but what types of learning we can be giving to kids. Um, EL Magazine is one of my favorite magazines, and their latest issue was all about uh, empowering students. And there was a great little short article in there by the name of a guy named John Spencer. And in it, you know, this this came out before this COVID-19 hit, so this wasn't about online learning. But I think there's a lot in that magazine about empowering students that actually feeds right into how we can deliver online learning experiences that are valuable. So John Spencer, let me start with a quote. He says, empowered teachers empower students. So school leaders have to start by empowering teachers. I love that idea. I'm a school leader myself. I'd like to empower teachers. I like to try to empower them as much as I can. I know I could still probably do a better job. But right now, actually, a lot of in a lot of places that in my district for sure, teachers have a lot of autonomy, a lot more autonomy than they would normally have. You know, we're who knows what's gonna happen with the statewide test. So we might be actually teaching and learning right now, though it's online only. Um, without the sort of fear of the state tests coming and all that comes with that. And also, you know, teachers are on their own. Like they're, they're, they have a job to get done. 
um, as they do at a lot of schools across the country. And I'm sure there's different levels of oversight, but let's be honest, teachers are working from home. There's not the normal oversight where we can see what's going on in every single classroom if we need to. Um, so I would argue that in many ways, this is a time where teachers have a lot more autonomy, both in what they're doing and how they're doing it than usual. And according to John Spencer, this can help them now that they're empowered more than ever, this can help them empower students. So one way is to sort of think about moving away from how do I make this interesting for kids? How do I deliver this new skill or content and how do I make it interesting for kids? And now that we're so removed from kids, it's sort of jump re-asking that question, which is, how do I tap into student interests? Because if teachers have less oversight than normal, kids have way less oversight than normal. So we are really relying on their intrinsic motivation. So if our activities don't supply some level of intrinsic motivation for them, they chances are they'll just tune us out. And unless they have parents really providing oversight, uh, we won't get much out of them in the next few months. And, you know, that's going to be frustrating for us, but it's also a chance for us to understand that the more we can tap into their interests in this time, the better off we will be. We don't want them to ignore. We want them to feel intrinsically motivated. Now, when teachers think about the lessons or projects or whatever they're doing in the classroom, there's sort of three things that come into play. There's content, process, and product content, process, and the product, right? And according to EL Magazine, in middle schools across the country, in ELA social studies and science classes, only 10% of middle school assignments that students have to do give them any level of choice within content, process, or product. So that means 90% of the time a student faces an assignment in math, I'm sorry, in English, science, or social studies, 90% of the time, they have no choice over the content, they have no choice over the process they're supposed to go through, and they have no choice over the product that they're supposed to create. Only 10% of the time do they get any choice. And I know it's harder, but in math, it's even less. Only 3% of the time is there, is there autonomy for kids over content, process, or product. 97% of the time, it is what it is. Kids have to learn it, do it the way we said to do it, and then give us a final product the way we tell them to give it to us. I, I know that's hard to avoid. That's going to take years and years to get over the hump on that and have those numbers get better. But I would argue that we have an opportunity right now. We have an opportunity with less oversight from the state and from school leaders and district leaders with more autonomy in what we're doing with students and with us having to rely on intrinsically motivating students to do our work more than if they're right in front of us and we can be all over them. This is an incredible opportunity to develop our ability to provide some autonomy in content, process, or product. So here we go. I'll just give you five or six quick ideas. These are just some ways you can give some autonomy over any or all of these three. First one, how about just having students choose a topic and then they research, they write a blog, we give them some feedback on that blog, and then they publish that blog. So they've chosen the content, we've kind of given them a process, but they're going to be writing on their own, and then the final product is theirs they own. It's however they make that blog look is the final product. So they choose a, they choose a topic, they research, they write, 
we give feedback, they publish. They'll still learn so many skills of researching and of writing, which are so important, but they will own the content, which will make them hopefully more intrinsically motivated. Here's another idea. How about trying a different final product? You know, we get, in, we get stuck in our ways. Understandably, there's a lot to do each day. So when we teach our normal unit on whatever science um, content it might be, we tend to give our normal summative evaluation. We tend to give our normal test or our normal project or our normal quiz, right? So how about now that we're home, we try something totally different. Do you usually give a test? This time, maybe have students create a slideshow or a video made by students showing that they mastered and understood the content. Try something totally different in terms of the final product. You're, you're probably going to have to anyways, but it's a great way to develop that skill for yourself moving forward as well. How can they develop a totally different final product once they've gone through our content? Here's another idea, and this could go in any subject with the right framework. How about we just do creative writing? You know, of all the things that got lost in the shuffle, starting with No Child Left Behind and standardized testing focus, creative writing might be the thing that got the most lost. Here's your chance. Hey, we're going to do a creative writing project. You have all week to do it. You have to check in and send me some email updates as to how it's going. You could be writing poetry. You could be writing short stories. You could be writing long stories. I'll be honest, today at about noon, I knew I needed to do something different with my own kids. So what did I do? I showed them a movie script. I showed them what the Dead Poet Society movie script looked like. And I said, over the next few days, you're going to write your own movie script. And they learned really quickly from me how to do the little sentences about the setting or what we would see and then quickly go into the dialogue by person and I can't wait to see how it comes out they were actually pretty excited about it and it's a totally different type of writing so try some creative writing projects along that same vein try some journaling you know of course we want to deliver new content and new ideas but what about just for two or three days shutting your class down online and say, we're just going to do some journaling. I'm expecting each of you to send me six to eight sentences of journaling about how you're feeling today, what you're experiencing. And, you know, some kids will do the bare minimum and it'll be pretty surface level and other kids will really dive in and do some deep stuff. So try journaling. I know every math teacher is saying, how does any of this work for me? Here's an idea for math. Once you've taught kids a new skill right now or found a way for them to learn a new skill, have them write their own problems and then have them provide the solutions. So now, you know, you've owned the content, but they've owned the process. Instead of doing problems that you assign, they're writing problems, they're writing the answers to go with it. So it's just an easy way to give them some autonomy in that process portion. Last but not least, you know, a lot of you are looking for t uh, videos online right now. And a lot of teachers do that anyway, but this is really going to force us because it's going to be hard for us to deliver new content. It's going to be very helpful if we can find videos that already do that for us. And that's something I highly encourage teachers to do. But here's another thing. What if we had students find videos to share with us that could help them learn something? So let's say you're a geography teacher and you're going to be teaching South America and you want to get a sort of a, a bank of videos that students can watch to learn about the geography of South America. Instead of you finding four and then having them watch the four, have them have to find some and then share with you what videos they found. Again, now they're owning more of that learning process and they will most likely be more intrinsically motivated. 
You know, everything we say, I, f I know this is true for me. A lot of what I say I value in education, but which is hard to stick to on a day-to-day -day basis in the grind. Well, now it's actually the core of what we're doing. What do I mean by that? First, as adults, we are all being forced right now to learn a lot of new things. And we're not at a PD where we can learn them next to colleagues. What we're doing is we're learning a little bit and then we're trying and then we're failing. And then after that failing, we've actually learned how to use it. So interesting, but this is actually putting us in exactly the type of learning that people like myself, I say I value. We also are in the moment where effort by kids really is the most important thing. You know, we always say effort's the most important thing, but at the end of the day, we all give summative assessments to give grades. Right now, that's probably not happening very much. So effort really is the most important thing. And when we say that to kids right now, we fully mean it. And then another thing is, you know, we always say we want to connect with individual students. But again, in the grind of the day, that can be hard. You got 110 kids walking in, or you got 33rd graders that everybody has a different need. But right now, over Google Hangout or over email or over whatever your district is allowing you to use, you can reach out to individual students and show that you really care about them and you're wondering how they're doing. So it's funny that a moment that's so tough like this one is actually allowing us to really stick to our original values. We are learning by failing and we can lead students through that same process. We are valuing effort over everything and we need to make sure kids understand that and we can connect with individual students. And as we do all this, as we do all this, we can provide autonomy in content, process, and or product that'll help kids fully engaged. Remember, nothing's more important right now than supporting your students, loving your students, finding a way to help them keep developing, finding a way to get their intrinsic motivation up. We don't want to overwhelm them and we don't want to overwhelm ourselves and we're all going to have to learn that as we get deeper into this process. But I truly feel as tough as this moment is and as much as we'd rather be at school with the face-to-face -face interaction, I truly feel that when this passes, we are all going to come out of this as better educators, better educators. So I want to, I want to finish on something totally different but this is a Facebook post by a guy named Ken Buck. Many of you have probably seen it, but I'm going to read it anyways to close because I just thought this summed up what just happened at my school, in my district, and at so many schools and districts across the country so well. So I'll leave you with this. We gave educators almost no notice. We asked them to completely redesign what school looks like. And in about 24 hours, local administrators and teachers Apollo 13 to the problem and fixed it. Kids learning, children being fed, needs being met, all in the midst of a global crisis. No state agency did this. No so-called national experts on curriculum. The local educators fixed it in hours hours. In fact, existing state and federal policies actually created multiple roadblocks. Local schools figured out how to do it around those two. No complaining and no hand-wringing, just solutions and amazingly clever plans. Remember that the next time someone tries to convince you that the schools are better run by mandates from non-educators, remember that the next time someone yell tells you that teachers have it easy or tries to persuade you that educators are not among the smartest, most ingenious people in society. And please never say to me again, those who can't do anything else just go into teaching. 
Get out of the way of a teacher and watch with amazement at what really happens. You guys are amazing. This is an opportunity. Take it to develop yourself. Take it to build your students' intrinsic motivation. And thank you for joining us here on the Teacher's Cup of Coffee. You gotta change the game. Just you and me.